Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for January 17th, 2015. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, Salvation and the Common Good. My cousins, Mark and Carrie Phillips, who grew up in what used to be the rural outskirts of Charlotte, had a running philosophical conversation about the cows they passed going down Rocky River Road. One said they're white cows with black spots, just that easy. The other insisted that reality isn't always what it appears. The black, he said, is the base color. The cows are completely black. And the white is superimposed like a layer of Swiss cheese. You know, the black just peers out through the holes in the white Swiss cheese. Black or white, they never could agree. And their silly disagreement reminds me of maybe the equally silly debate as to whether human beings are spiritual creatures living a physical existence or physical beings yearning for spiritual transcendence. Neither of these simplistic solutions is biblical. The creation narrative makes it clear that we do not live in a dualism of the physical versus the spiritual, so simply. And Paul, educated as a Pharisee, affirms that very Hebraic notion in his discussion of the resurrection of the body. We are not physical beings with a more important spiritual nature, as if the body is just an unimportant container for an essential soul down inside us. Body and spirit were fused together completely at creation. Cleanly separating body from soul, like divorcing the secular from the sacred, is to miss the biblical view that the physical is imbued with spirit, Through and through, all life is sacred. The word materialist or reductionist refers to the belief that there is no more to this world than can be seen or measured physically. Count me out. The truth of the mystery of human life, I believe, is that we are more than the sum of our parts. Truth and beauty, trust and inspiration, devotion and sacrificial love are embedded within us deeper than our DNA. And these spiritual expressions of our uniquely human experience are more important to what it means to be human than our genetic code. But people mostly like to see things easy whether they are or not, you know, white cows, black spots, body versus soul, natural or supernatural. So right out of the gate, the Apostle Paul offends some with the piety that seems to surround much of his writing. Now concerning spiritual gifts, he says, and immediately some tune him out. Talk of anything spiritual makes some people turn up their noses, including some Christians who are as tired as the rest of the world of pious hypocrisy. 
And there certainly are people who abuse religion. But to be fair to Paul, these are the very people about whom he is writing. And for this very reason, beginning as he does, now concerning the spiritual gifts, indicates that Paul is responding to a question someone has has asked him. Perhaps, tell us what to do with these self-righteous snobs who think they're more spiritual than the rest of us. And Paul is trying to respond. Bad religion, you see, has been around forever. But just because some people wear their spirituality like the bling of gaudy jewelry does not mean there's no rightful place for talk of spirituality. With the vulgarity and the coarseness of our cultural life, the hatred that is still spilling out in racially motivated bloodshed across our land, the angst that feeds the gun fetish of our fear-filled nation, the xenophobia, that fear of others that is sadly common even today in the discourse of presidential politics. God knows we need a peace and a wisdom that is beyond our grasp, a breath of spirit in our aching world. If you can only hear Paul talking in either-or language, though, falsely separating the quote, spiritual from the, quote, non-spiritual, heaven from earth, as it were, then you will miss the point. Look at the gifts Paul mentions, the utterance of wisdom and knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, discernment of spirits, speaking in tongues, interpretation, spiritual gifts, Well, of course, these words could be heard only in the churchy way many pious preachers have taught them. But maybe that's not the only way, and it's probably not the best way for us to understand them. For instance, for example, the utterance of wisdom might be understood as speaking about some mystical revelation you have received. But you and I have both known people who were just wise. When they open their mouths, we hear the utterance of wisdom. We don't have to go to them and ask for a divine revelation to know we are hearing wisdom from God. And we also know people who are filled with knowledge, which is different than wisdom. Someone said an expert is one who knows more and more about less and less until finally she knows everything about nothing. Well, sometimes we need people with that kind of knowledge. Maybe faith. Interesting to me, it's always been interesting to me that Paul considers faith one of the gifts of the Spirit. Maybe faith is just an ability to believe the sometimes unbelievable teachings about spiritual things, or maybe faith is action, work, faithfulness. I know people, and you do too, who can't believe much about spiritual things, but their actions speak for their doubts. 
It's the spiritual gift of faith. And some of you are healers. You practice medicine, or you give the healing attention that only nurses can provide, or you use your hands to massage and cure, or your words to speak and make well the gift of healing. And what does it take to make a miracle? Contravening one natural law by a supernatural law? Or is a miracle helping someone to see that sometimes the impossible really is possible? God always does everything God can do. We need to understand that the spiritual gifts are actually human abilities whose purposes are for practical earthly outcomes. Paul also speaks of spiritual gifts in his letter to the church at Rome, and he names them there slightly differently. He names prophecy, speaking truth to power. Ministry, not just the vocational calling. Teaching, thank God for teachers. Exhorting, which means encouraging. Giving. Did you know that being generous is a gift? Leading and compassion. All of those are spiritual gifts. And every single one of you has a spiritual gift or two. And we need you to use your gifts here. The reach of our church is quite literally in your hands the gifts of Park Road to this community in your healing and teaching and compassion and giving. The goal of our last long-range vision was for everyone who identifies with Park Road as their community of faith to be involved in an action team. This is how we do our work, not by recruiting you to serve on committees, but by trusting that God will nudge you, even if the preacher doesn't, to find at least one specific way to practice your gifts. Are you putting your spiritual gifts in practice here? I invite you. But the heart of the matter in this text, and the real point of this sermon is to understand that discerning spiritual gifts does not depend on some false distinction between what is spiritual and what is non-spiritual. Jesus goes a long, long way to blur the line between on earth as it is in heaven. And Paul suggests that the way to tell if a gift is spiritual is clear and easy. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. You see, all true gifts are from the Spirit. But Paul says they are given for the common good. And that implies that they may not always be used that way. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, which is intended, whether it's used that way or not, intended for 
the common good? Are your gifts used for the common good? And what is the common good? The angry comedian Lewis Black, whose quote I put in your bulletin, is on to something important, I think, when he calls our hand on fundraising efforts for public schools. We think of that as charity, Lewis Black says, but educating children should just be part of what free societies do. What could be more important, more for the common good? So why would we ever need to raise charitable funds to educate children, to buy supplies and provide technology, charitable funds even to provide weekend snacks if lack of nutrition is what is keeping a child from learning. Why would we need to raise charitable funds? We ought to want to educate our children, all of them. It is for the common good even if we have to pay more taxes to do it. Now, how is it going to help me and my affluent neighborhood if more and more children in the poor neighborhoods of Charlotte and in our backwardly resegregated schools, if they fail more and more to learn to read in the third grade? Put in crude terms, if those children fail, they'll be coming to our neighborhood soon enough, either looking for a handout or for whatever they might take otherwise, since they have no jobs, no hope, no future. What other choice will they have if we don't give them a future? By paying taxes and providing an education for every child. These are not other people's children, not if we believe in the common good. So more than any people in the entire world, people of faith ought to demand good education for all children. But let's be honest. I could talk about this issue and so many more. Let's just be honest. When it comes right down to it, most Americans, even Christian Americans, do not really believe in the common good. Not when we actually have to put it into practice. Oh, everyone says they believe it until we try to figure out what that means and how we would enact that. And some politician says, many of you are well off enough that the tax cuts have helped you. We're saying that for America to get back on track, we're probably going to have to cut that short and not give it to you. We're going to have to take things away from you on behalf of the common good. And then all those people who said they believed in the common good start yelling, get your hands off of my money. We start hearing the sneering accusations of social engineering and communism. But how else is it going to work, folks? Tell me, the common good, how is it going to work? Tax and regulatory policies and financial sector strategies put us where we are today. 
with the gap between the rich and the poor being as large as it, it has ever been in this country and still growing and larger than most other industrialized nations in the world. Some people argue that policies that would give the poor an advantage would be unfair. But let's at least be fair enough to admit that it was policies and people behind them that created this crisis we're in to begin with. A crisis of inequality that threatens our very future. And do not insult me at the door when you go out and accuse me of preaching partisan politics. Both of our parties are responsible for the crisis we're in. I don't believe in the free market, not in a pure sense. It's only free, you see, until someone gains an advantage, and that will always happen because some people are smarter than other people, and some people are lucky. And then, because we are inherently greedy, all of us, those with the advantage will use that advantage Maybe not even intentionally so or, mal or maliciously so. Sin is more insidious than that, you see. In actual practice, the free market is never really free. It's always quietly influenced and not by the invisible hand that the economist Adam Smith envisioned. It's always influenced by those with voice and power, by those who have been advantaged to begin with. What this means, though it sounds depressing, includes a sign of hope because the common good today is in no small part in our hands. We who have been advantaged by this system. But we will have to decide if we are going to use our gifts and our money and our voice and our vote to keep that advantage. Or will the Spirit give us a bigger vision that sees the best good for me in the best good for all? even if that means the advantage I have received needs to be shifted to the disadvantage. What will it be? The final word is this. Salvation is another of those very powerful, very good words of Scripture that has been greatly maligned and misunderstood because we have largely limited it to a spiritual concept, you know, getting saved. Biblical theology dares us to believe otherwise. From start to finish, the biblical view is of a God whose mercy is wide, whose priority is for the poor the weak, the disadvantaged, a God whose kingdom welcomes all, whose salvation will be known when every valley is exalted and every mountain and hill made low. That is, when there is a level playing field right here, right now, where rough places are plain so that all can know the fullness of life that Jesus intends to bring. In other words, 
The common good is our salvation. We will be saved by seeking the common good, and we will be saved by experiencing it as reality on earth as it is in heaven. To each of you is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. May it be so. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you. This has been a production of Park Road Baptist Church.